CPCL, Choose Poetry, Choose Life. Yes, getting all the way in from I have to unmute myself or do something. Call in and then unmute yourself. There we go. I'm talking to the radio listening audience, but I see Andy has made it. And hi. Oh, my goodness. Hi. There we are. Um, I'll, like right now, we have a good shot on my boobs. Uh, I'll be. I'm gonna work out some of this tech. We're gonna be. <laughs> we're gonna be right back with, choose poetry, choose life with hosts Andy Talbot and Aaron Gannon coming all the way from I think Aaron's in Chicago, or something. She's in a steak bar in Glasgow. This is exciting. I'm going to play a little music. We're going to get this all set up. I am super, super jealous. And we'll be right back with Choose Poetry, Choose Life here on Mutiny Radio.
Plugged in to whatever's happening today. <laughs> Let me get the tech right. You're listening to Mutiny Radio FM and SF, and or SF and FM. Either way, I'm confused today. Uh, yay! That was fun. Hi, Andy. Hi. Oh, up. Oh, let me get. I gotta get some more sound on you. Here we go. We're sound checking. That's Holly. There we go. It's Holly in the back. It's a it's a family trip to Edinburgh. Is everything open there again now? I didn't. It's the, when you work off one Zoom thing, it's hard to do a back and, like when there's someone in the back and in the foreground. I don't know how it works. We're in Durham. Um, Everything's open here, though. Oh, wow, really? So is the Edinburgh thing going to be in person this year? Some of it is. Some of it is, yeah. Um, whether whether we're gonna try and go up and do something, I don't know. I might now. Why not? Yeah. Now now I can go wherever. One. Thanks <laughs> to my girlfriend who broke up yesterday. Oh wow. Well, uh, now everybody I knows. Have one, I have one word for you, mate, and you know what it is. Yeah. Cambridge. Get in the fucking car. <laughs> you bought a car together and then you broke up. Is that the no, story? Uh, like, oh, I've, I've still got a car. Thanks. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Um, so, oh. okay, everybody's joining. Everybody's jumping in the room. Very nice. Yeah. Um, Right. That's Your microphone sucks today for whatever reason, Andy. Oh, is that better? Well, keep talking and we'll see. Um, there it is. That's better. Quite hard. What about that? Is that better? Uh, it just—it's the microphone. You just have to keep talking. We're pulling back the veil for everyone on the radio. <laughs> Say words. Keep yeah. saying words. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm a fucking singing ending. I can't sing. I hate singing and dance. And then I think I'm good at dancing. No, nope. I was in Durham last week and I went past a bar where I was dancing with Justin Bieber once. No. Okay. There we go. Well, I've I've got everybody else loud and clear. And uh, no, you're fine. I hear you a little. I just I can pump you up. It's fine. We have all the technology here. (laughs) I'm choosing the background, the Edinburgh Castle in solidarity with Scott Montier. So nice. (laughs) As well. Oh no, I need my favorite flower. Sure, right? Oh yeah. Oh hey. 
Well, here we all are. And Aaron's at a steak dinner. And yeah, Aaron's drunk. Oh. The rest of it was brilliant. Yeah, I'm. I've actually been sober for like almost forty-eight hours, which is the longest I haven't had a drink in like three weeks. And it's not necessarily my fault because I do so many, I've been doing comedy like every night and I'm paid in alcohol a lot of the times. And so every time I go out, I'm just like, oh, I'll have a drink. But then it just like kept going and going and going. And I was like, man, I just need a day. And so now we're gonna see what happens. How are you finding it? Oh, I'm fine. It's, I mean, I smoke, I smoke enough pot that it doesn't matter if I'm drinking or not, to be honest, but <laughs> so, so my mood will be fine despite, no, it's, it's just going to be tonight. I have a show show and where I get free alcohol and it'll be an interesting choice to see if I choose to have my IPAs or if I say, you know, another day won't kill me. So yeah, we all make choices. I get like, I get like that sometimes where I just like for a little while, but not tonight. Tonight, I'm on it. Look, I say I'm on it. I'm not going to be silly. He says, uh, Yeah, cool. We should do some poetry, right? Yeah, I've That's got why it. we're here. Yes. Um, so, who wants to go first? John? Sure. I can go first. Okay, so um, my uh, one of my uh, uh, poetry uh, teachers died uh, about a week ago. His name was Sam Hammett, and he was um, uh, kind of a less Lebanese American who'd been to the Iowa Writers Program and so on and so forth. So here's a, a poem for him. It's called, So You Finally Made It to Paradise for Sam Hammett. In your heaven do poets get 72 virgins too? With your big messy heart, you'll need more. I remember the artist with her oil paints and the graduate you took on around the world honeymoon slash divorce after she wrote her thesis about you. Always quit with boasts, praise for pianist Ahmad Jamal, conspiracy theories and memories of your father's bar. You were a rare ally in the work of transcribing the human heart to the page. Your words hopped like a gazelle, your haiku, not 575, but leaf, leaf, flower. Your three old Muslims praying by the highway and after the funeral of Ahmad Assam, epitomized devotion for those of all faiths. Hope there's plenty of kibbi, hummus, and fatouche where you are and that the music is fine. Like you taught, no punctuation will end this poem. So these words, like our memories, will echo forever. And uh, I actually thought I would uh, read the poem that uh, I made reference to. Um, it uh, has um, a bunch of uh, words in Arabic, which I would slaughter. Uh, so I'm just going to skip over those. Uh, but you get the sense of what the poem's about anyway. And, you know, I, I'm not a Muslim. I'm a Buddhist. But still, it uh, gives me, you know, I kind of like it because it talks a little bit about what it's like to practice uh, non 
uh, majority religion in America. So this is called After the Funeral of Hamad Assam. The cast includes Haj Abbas Habab, my grandfather, Sine Hussein, an old friend of my father, Hussein Hamad Sub, my father, me. 6 p.m. middle of South Dakota after a funeral in Sioux Falls, my father and grandfather ministered the Muslim burial of their old friend Ahmad Assam. Me driving the 1950 Lincoln 90 miles an hour. Stop, stop, stop the car. Why stop this car right now, Haj Abbas? grabbing my arm from the back seat. Hishtiyat, what are you yelling about, my father? Shubiki, what's happening, Sine Hussein? I stop, it's time to pray, the Hajj yanks his Navajo blanket, opening the door. It's time to pray, Suli, the sun sets time for Suli. My father and Sine Hussein follow obedient. I'm sitting behind the wheel, watching my motor still running. Car lights scream by more than I've ever seen in South Dakota. The Hajj spreads the blanket, blessing it as a prayer rug. They discuss which direction is east. After a few minutes, it's decided it must be that way. They face what must surely be south. They face their east, then notice I'm not with him. Hamod, get over here to pray. No, I'll watch and stand guard. Guard from what? Get over here. I get out of the car, but don't go to the blanket. My father says to the others, he's foolish. He doesn't know how to pray. They rub their hands, then their faces, rub their hands, then down their bodies as if in evolution, their feet bare together. Now they begin singing three old men chanting the Quran in the middle of a South Dakota night. In high, strained voices, they chant. More cars flash by. I'm embarrassed to be with them. People stream by. An old woman strains at, to gawk at them. I'm standing guard now. They're chanting with more vigor now against the cars washing away in a dry state. Hamadi's death, he floats from their mouths his head in white, his gray mustache still. I hear them still singing as I travel halfway across America to another job, burying my dead. I always like trips, traveling at high speed, but they have surely passed me as I am standing here now, trying so hard to join them on that old prayer blanket as if the pain behind my eyes could be absolution. So there you go, Sam Hamad, my old teacher. Thanks everybody. Thank you, Brian. Where was he, where, oh, you already, Muted yourself. Not really, not really, Professor. No, he, uh, you know, we just had like a read and critique session in San Diego for a couple of years. I don't know, you know, a couple of us kind of just got together with Sam and, uh, you know, we bring our poems and read and critique them. And so, you know, it's just an informal thing. That's really cool. Well, RIP. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Again, my intuition is that he's in a better place. And so that, you know, 
he was old and knew his times. And okay. All right. Andy, where'd you go? <laughs> Andy. I was in there. You want me to read something else? I can read something else if you're still waiting. Looks like Carolyn. Okay, so I didn't unmute myself. Sorry. Um, am I good to go? Okay, yes. go ahead, Carol. Sorry. No, it's cool, John. Do you have some more? I don't mind. No, you go you go ahead. I'm fine. Okay. Um so yeah, um, it's more cows. Here we go. <laughs> you know I can't write about anything else. Right, okay, here we go. Um, the next installment. Maybe the stupid cows knew all along. You see them now, not flying in the sky as the saying we all kept saying, kept saying, but levitating on all fours and rising up and beyond the, beyond the clouds. The cows, the pigs, the meek and the mild. In a twist of sarcastic fate, they've left the earth as an inheritance to us and are heading off to bovine heaven, animal nirvana. Only the cows know where they really belong. And the pigs and sheep and chickens and ducks and all the other dumb animals too. God knows we were given ample opportunity and chances infinitum to treat these beasts with some respect, some decency. But these sentient and enlightened beings have put up with their second rate animal experience for long enough. Cow is calling time. Cow is calling time. Member of the cleaning team to aisle nine. Member of the cleaning team to aisle nine. They've left a right mess. They knew this day was coming, but didn't know, couldn't know, couldn't have anticipated that they might have been halfway through a bowel movement when they started to levitate or mid-birth. Abandoned fetal matter lies now in a pool of full fat milk in aisle nine, and someone has to clean this mess up. Would you clean up fetal matter in a pool of full fat milk for minimum wage? Where was that in the contract? Cleaners are sentient beings too. Pay them. Pay them a bit more respect. Pay some respect to the people you pay minimum wage to to clean up your shit. But it's not your shit today. It's the cows and the calves. Oh, but hang on. That's you, isn't it? Yes, that's you there in the dairy aisle, tasting cow's milk for the first time. But does milk from a carton resemble milk from an udder at all? You wouldn't know. You lap up the spilt milk. It tastes familiar, but you don't know why. It's cold, refreshing, nicer than the stuff the farmer's daughter feeds you from the bottle, or the stuff you suck independently from the rubber teat that hangs in your ensuite enclosure. And the stink of the fish, holy cow, the stink of the fish falling in their netfuls all around you, falling with a slippery thud, 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 thud. Salmon, thud, watch out for the tuna. One of those could knock you out cold. Fish out of the water have limited time and some were just too close to their last suffocating breath to make it to their final undesignated destination. And they fall back down in their net falls. Thud, 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 thud. Oops. <laughs> so now all you have left to share with is the cats that you domesticated. 
unpredictable but not unjust. The animal god is giving you one last chance to show you care. Surely you wouldn't think of turning Kitty into dinner. But what will poor Kitty eat for her dinner now that the cattle and chicken are no longer there to be processed into squidgy meat chunks and jelly? And the birds, dear God, the birds in the meat aisle, crows and eagles and pigeons and blackbirds tearing savagely at the pre-packaged meat. They can cope with a little bit of plastic if there's a tasty rump steak or chicken thigh lying beneath it and no fur or wings to digest? Or do they peck at slices of cow's tongue? If cats can eat cow, why not birds? These are animals, not humans. They are savages, but not savage like you. You, are you still there? firm flatly on the supermarket floor, fighting your way through the fish and burrs to the exit door? Or are you rising up with a delighted moo, leaving the chaos below you to those who will inherit the earth? Those who will inherit the earth. Oh sure, yes, the meek and the mild were supposed to inherit the earth, but given the choice, the first dibs, they've chosen to pass. So it's over to you. Or maybe not. Maybe you're too long in the tooth now, too old and weary to concern yourself with this anymore. The younger generations have blamed and berated you for so long now, they don't realize you used ice cream boxes for lunch, for lunch boxes, turned yesterday's newspapers into kindling for fire, darned your socks, drank water from the public fountain, mended and make do. Forgive them their impatience and intolerances. For cow, so loved the earth and its people. But the people took too many liberties and cow is calling time. Cow is calling time. And still the cows and pigs keep flying. I mean, rising, or maybe when they get high enough, they start to fly. Who knows? You just cannot see that far. You cannot see that far. But now you humans, cunning and resourceful as ever, you've seen a way out of this mess. You start to grab onto the rising trotters, the flying hooves, grasping at levitating claws. But the cows knew, the sheep too. They kick, they buck, moo, fuck you, says the cow. Ba, <laughs> says the sheep, moo. And the piles, oh, the piles of discarded waste the spilt milk, the fetal matter, the rump steaks, the chicken thighs, the birds pet to death in the rush, the piles of steaming shit, the quagmire, the rising stench for cow, so loved the people of this earth that she sacrificed every child born to her every year of her life so that its people might drink milkshakes and eat mince and tatties and enjoy a cheese plate for dessert. But this cow isn't stupid. Don't call me a stupid cow. Kindly remove your fist from my rectal canal, your gun from my vagina. And the fish, the fish keep falling. The fish keep falling. Too late for the fish. Cow can't save them all. Cow can't save everyone. The meek and the mild have bequeathed their inherited earth to you, to the human, not naked, the human, perhaps not such an enlightened being after all. But you're not all the same, are you? Not all of you are crying in despair or screaming in fear. The farmer is crying, but he's crying for joy. The cows he captured now free. The cows whose vaginas and rectums he manipulated multiple times a day. He, 
multiple times a day. He tears off his elbow length pink, pink plastic shit covered glove and falls down on his knees. Moo, says the farmer. Moo, says the farmer. Moo. Oh, that's it. Yay! <laughs> Are you a vegan? <laughs> Not completely. Oh, man. Sister, that was amazing. I, that, I? <laughs> I don't eat meat. <laughs> that was that was that was that was awesome. Hey, I have a question though, because I think a lot about trying to save the vegans. Would you? Like, what if we did befriend a cow? And what if we gave the cow cancer that made it grow benign, steak-shaped tumors on its back? And then we could just cut off the tumors and eat the tumors and keep the cow alive. Eh? I, I, I have to be honest and say, I never had that thought, Pam. <laughs> it's an idea. <laughs> That was great, Paul. <laughs> Andy, can we hear you? Are you still having technical difficulties? Ooh, yeah. Is that okay? Uh-huh. Cool. Yeah, that was fucking awesome. Um, the CPCR link took me to... Hold on two seconds. Just got to do... Yeah, I think someone was saying earlier the Zoom link took you to, like, YouTube. Some shit. I don't know. Um, I've copied the ones that are in central. There we go. Um, yeah, who wants to go next? Hill, Hill can go next. I feel like we're, yeah. we're in okay. school right now. Uh, I actually Hi. sort of did a self-determination thing. Was that a thing? I think that was a thing. It was. Um, it a thing. I did. But I did a thing because I have like one poem that is about self-determination and not wanting to be in an abusive care situation and another about trying to take care of someone in a respectful way. So I have kind of two poems that go together there. Um, yeah, that's what I did today. Uh, I don't really have a title for this one. I literally wrote something, something self-determination. Uh, there is a warning here for like suicide and mental illness. Yeah. Um, so I'll just start. I once called a suicide hotline. I was told quite politely and simply that I might as well go ahead and do it. If I weren't going to reconcile with my family of origin, that if I didn't have to family to look after me, there wasn't ever going to be anything better in my life. Not with my particular mix of physical and mental health problems, trauma reactions, and poverty. And when pressed, he promised that rather than trying to push me over the edge, he was trying to make it very clear that someone to take care of you is just a necessary part of life. And my failure at relationships meant that putting myself into the hands of people I didn't trust was the only way to get it done. Now, with dead parents who never quite took care of me in the first place, a living grandmother I talked to on the phone just enough to feel like I'm not destroying her, and maybe a little too much to feel like she isn't destroying me, and a brother who ignores me unless he needs someone to threaten or my trauma to use against someone else, so that I become weirdly both the weapon and the sharpening stone. I still wonder what will happen if, lacking any other emergency contact, someone has to look to my blood relations for anything in relation to me. See, I learned young that asking for help was really just asking for it. 
that admitting something was wrong and things are wrong, that's undeniable, meant becoming something less than human, a thing to be both pitied and used, a weird mix of family secret and rescue that can be trotted out whenever someone needs to be a martyr or a saint. And it doesn't matter who caused the trauma that started it all, doesn't matter who should have protected you or might have made it worse with their responses or recriminations, the victim blaming became a bigger trigger than any of the actual abuse. Only, who can benefit by saying that now they're doing the right thing for you, by not letting you exist in this world as you are? And then, when you talk to your friends, the ones who know you know, the ones who weren't with you, during all the terrible first attempts at help, who don't know what happened when you reached out your hand, who don't know what the dangers are of all the way people feel like you can be destroyed and have it called help. They want to know why you're learning to manage all this on your own, why you stop short of telling even the experts whatever you think might be the thing most likely to cause you, to become just a body, just a thing, to be moved and medicated and pushed around however they feel might make you less an implication, a crime scene, a bleeding wound. So, you know, I'm not going to make anyone millions of dollars, never going to have anything to lose but myself. No house, no fortune, no career, not even my child, not all the time. But I want to say that even myself is too much a loss to risk. And then the second one is called Dust Bunny. There's something I need to tell you. There is no amount of pinching at my forearms when you want attention, destroying all my things, stealing the peppers from my omelets, rescheduling my holidays into hospital visits that will make a dent in this love. There is no amount of leaning into me and smiling when you want kisses, sharing your favorite ribbons with my panicked borrowed children, clapping your hands when I sing despite my awful voice that will grow this love. It is, has always been, will always be everything. We'll fill up all the spaces in my mind with a million stories with the same protagonist, always silent, always dressed in pastels, always adorned in pink ribbons and speaking only with hands, sometimes too rough and sometimes tickle soft. We'll fill up all the spaces in my heart with a million moments between the seizures, between the breaking, between the going hungry and the canceling everything, between the hard choices, the wanting you by my side forever and the knowing I can't care for you alone. There's something I need to tell you, but I can never tell for sure which words you truly understand. So I press my lips against your hair, whisper one last sleep well, dust bunny, and wipe my tears instead. Yeah, so that's what I got. Yay. Thank you. That was awesome. I'm so glad you could come along as well. I related I to okay that first well. one a lot. With your family. It's a scary thing. Like, it's always like, like, sure, it'd be great to have some help, except I don't trust any of them to do anything helpful for me that isn't going to make everything worse and or never allow me to make a decision for myself again. That'd be great. Also, they're super anti-queer, so let's not, let's not. It's hard when your family doesn't appreciate and value who you are, and and then you look to the world, and then people go, oh, but you have to take that validation from yourself, and it's like, well, you're saying that, but you come from a supported family that likes who you are, and then if you're, like, alone, and then and then everyone's like, why can't you just do it for yourself? And it's like, because I don't have a model for that, you know? So I totally feel you. Yay, we're all Who's next? <laughs> My poems are about something similar kind of stuff today too, but 
Andy, we can't hear you. That's because I'm not talking. There he <laughs> goes. Oh, okay. Uh, who's going next then? What about Louise? Yeah, cool. Let's go, Louise. Hey, um, okay, so this is an older thing that I wrote. It's called Limbo, and it's about my day job where I work in a pharmacy. Um, I've never read this aloud before, so I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do it. And yeah, okay, I'm just going to start. <laughs> my posh telephone voice kind of sounds like. <clears throat> Good afternoon, Pharmacy Louise speaking. How may I service you? Have you been bad? Very, very bad. And I can't fucking help it. I don't know why, honestly. I want to burn the white top, like clinical waste. It's how they all see me and it is how I fucking feel. Simvastatin, aspirin, diazepam, tamazepam, bedroflumethizide, buprenorphine, quetiapine, tramadol, methotrexate, ramipril, propanolol, atenolol, amlodipine, lithium, methadone, oxy, paracetamol, metformin, carbamazepine, ibuprofen, sildenafil, boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes. I'm generally awful at math, but fuck me, I am a grand goddamn master of the 28 times table. I want them out of my eyes and out of my head because they are overdosing my reason and my love and I'm choking on my passion and my pacelet just trying to find a bit of space for them both. And then I laugh and I cry and I sleep because fucking hell, it's pretty absurd, right? I don't have enough fingers to count the amount of times that I've been told that I'm the reason that you'll die because... 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 I take you all home at night and dream of making it better. Ridiculous, right? So yeah, I want to burn my clinical waste while swallowing a big fuck you to Captain Pharma because I make no difference. My country is the highest rate of drug-related deaths in the EU, whilst the suicide rate is at a five-year high, whilst we continue to sell opioids over the counter because the patient's wellness is more important than ever. It's just not as important as 300 million in the bank. So, have you been bad? Enter your credit card details for more. Thank you, guys. <laughs> It really lended itself to, as a performance poem. That was really good. Come on. You know, and someone says, like, the name of the place you're from or whatever, and you want to go, woo. When you said metformin, I wanted to go, woo, metformin. <laughs> Do you know Midazolam? That's my favorite drug. Midazolam, have you heard of that one? Short lived, fast acting benzodiazepine? Mmm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was fucking awesome. Thank you. And you you were nervous to do that. Probably. You what? I'm saying you were probably nervous to do that as well. That was fucking amazing. Shit myself right before I read every single time, my friend. <laughs> Break isn't for another fifteen minutes if you want to go change. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but you can just sit there. That's entirely up to you, whatever you're into. We, the wall. Yeah, we do <laughs> not we do not kink shame here. Um 
Cool. Who wants to read next? I'll go next. I heard, but I didn't see. I'm sorry. I think it's uh, Generalissimo. I think I know his voice. Oh, Generalissimo. Yay. Uh, there you go. Constable is here, too. Hold on. I'm going to do two pieces. So the first is called Bleeding. When I get cut, the blood flows from my skin like lava from Kilauea. Sometimes I need more than direct pressure to make it stay inside. Sometimes I bleed recollections my subconscious decides it's time to say goodbye to, ones it held on to forming grudges on the inside walls of my personality that have aged enough to naturally decay and chip away into history. Sometimes, I bleed bits and pieces of my childhood I have hoarded away to create an inflatable stunt mattress to break the fall of obstacles and traumas of adulthood. Sometimes my blood runs clear for me inconsolable tears when words are not available to wrap my soul in warmth and I slipped and fallen into consequential disagreement. Sometimes my blood is made of words that form and my tears and thoughts pull together into poetry. That happens. My blood no longer belongs. And second poem I wrote last night uh, during open mic, and then I kind of polished it up right before I went to bed. And then this morning, my computer went wacko on me, and I hadn't saved it because it was 94 degrees last night. I forgot to save it. And then I was able to somehow magically find it in the depths of my computer. So it's called Bridge Burner's Lament. Is it possible to burn a bridge without lighting a match? Without accelerant to spread the flames? Is it possible to burn more than one bridge at a time? Bridges that live miles away from each other. Can said bridges be so easily burned to a crisp one bad decision, and one bad decision calls time-consuming daily detours that call C-speed detours transforming into permanent extended commutes. New age arsonist burns down necessary structures with words and attitudes. Unfortunately, ashes cannot be used to resurrect the past. Ashes composed of carbon black will likely lead to asthma and lung damage. Despite Arsonists never intended to burn bridges. Rivers and bays will still exist. New bridges will get built. Those crossing those bridges, when they come to them, will cross them as if they were always there. But their breathing will be played with asthmatic wheezes. They will cough often through lungs, scarred by someone else's bad decision. Thank you. Wow, love that. Great stuff. Thank you, Generalise. You're welcome. What does everyone want to do? Is it too early for a break? I'm just trying to spread that out, I guess. How many of us in. how many of us are left? Right? 
Oh, all right. You're listening so to CPCL. Choose poetry, Is choose life. No, honey, you haven't missed me. I'm here. Radio. Yeah, it's a set. Beth, I always miss you because you're Beth. That's right, same here. I got news for you tonight, so it's all good. Oh, do you, when do you want to do that? Whenever. Put the gallery view on. I can tell. Oh, hello, there are people. <laughs> you want me to do that now? Yeah. Yeah? yeah, yeah you want me to read yeah. now as well? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Goodness sake. All right. Okay, so I'm going to read two things tonight that are very quite new and are um, a bit raw. One of them, literally, I wrote at lunchtime today, so. It's like I've got to read it out, the scrawly biro. Um, but um, this is uh, something that I wrote earlier on in the month. I've been, I've been trying to figure out, like, what I wanted to say about something. And um, today is a good day to read that. It's called Nothings. You know nothing. Of the nights I have lain awake holding on to your hand through to your thread through the darkness, willing you to remain. That I might feel your blessing once more, my prayers, a strangled mess of breath and tears. You think I say nothing, do nothing, pray nothing, do nothing but pray, and I cannot explain how this is all I have. My breath and the movement and the words under the closest I get to touching. I say nothing, and I cannot explain that every day I bite back by or swallowing rage like I'm starving, and all I can tolerate are the stones of my own anger. I say nothing. Not because I cannot stand behind my views, but because my arguing is done. I'm spent for now, but the words do not leave me alone. I am saying nothing because I do not know how to choose from the sentences that swarm and the subtext crawling on my skin. It may be choosing to keep myself intact, but it is never nothing. Oh, yay. Okay, so this might be called Coriolis, but it might not because I'm not sure. Because literally wrote it at like about twelve o'clock today. Um, last week when we were in Right Club, our theme was the ultimate question, and uh, the guy that leads our group revealed to us that he he set this theme but suggested this exercise because. He'd been working with a group of school children and I'd asked them, what do you think is the ultimate question? And um, there were some really interesting uh, answers from, you know, why, why pigeons, why? You know, right through to much more philosophical <laughs> things. And um, he revealed to us that he'd, uh, one child had been very quiet and he's like, he, she had very shyly showed him her excited tenant today. Why don't you just give up? 
I am circling your words. They refuse to leave. I'm running more water. They do not dissolve. Questions like these make me itchy. Answers are not few. They are so many that the noise is overwhelming and I threaten to overflow. Left, the answers drip until they feel so full. I fear for the skin holding up because it has to get better because I can't let them win. Because even if it was only me, that still means it isn't everybody. But even when the arc is long and some will pass underneath its arm, it must come down. That's how it works. And there must be justice. Because we can make it. Because all questions may never receive answers because nobody knows all the sides. We learn that the flow will continue to turn, but perhaps there is no bigger ultimate question than why don't we just give up? Yeah, no, don't give up. Please don't give up. The world is better with you in it. Um, I would rather have you here. Um, so yeah, I have some news for you. It's something of a soft announcement. It's not the formal one. Um, but some of you might want to know that I have my first pamphlet is coming out with Allographic in August. Yay! Um, artwork by, well, original photography by our extremely talented host in the corner there. <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, I'm like, it's going to be a thing. I, I, yeah, it's really, really scary right now. Right, you'll either find me like grinning in a corner by myself or like rocking and dribbling. There's no, there's like, <laughs> there's, that I only have the extremes. <laughs> like, there's nothing in between. Because it's either that or I'm just cleaning floors. Because that's what I'm doing the rest of the time. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's taken a little while to get to this point, but um, yeah, it's going to be a thing. Yay! <laughs> yeah, I've been busting to tell you for months, and I haven't. Yeah. Yay! I think Andy will know it's nearly finished me off, not being able to, like, not being able to say anything. But yeah, so um lovely cover uh, photography by Andy and uh, some extremely sparkly graphic design by my friend James who's also a poet um I if you what all the details will be on Beth Hartley poet like soon I just have to wait for the boss to have had a house inspection and be ready to do the, do the formal announcement that we're going to be good to go why weren't you able to say because it wasn't official so now it's it was well no like it wasn't official official it wasn't like i haven't didn't have like a thing where i could say this is the thing oh, right, right. the thing and the, this is the thing yeah. yeah i think i think that's best you know with all my projects it's sort of like the soviet space program you announce the successes and you just don't say anything about the failures because you know if it doesn't happen yet and you tell everybody you're going to do it and suddenly it doesn't work you look like an idiot it's much better to just keep quiet and john's and got it john's there got it, it. Yeah. but i can't I also know that I won't believe it until I'm physically holding it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, because I'm, yeah, I'm still waiting. 
yeah so yeah all of you who've been asking me about a thing leslie <laughs> and i haven't been able to say yes there's a thing there's a thing so yeah i will um put um the link in in the chat in just a sec um but i think roughly looking at um pre-order opening in like sometime in early august and um digital launching baby sometime <laughs> later in august um as part of the pbh meeting so Oh, excellent. And then um, there will be like an in-person new launch thing as well, but that, it's more like having like a big like thing and then like having a party with your family later <laughs> because because we can't get in our venues yet, which is a bit sad. Um, for those of you that have been coming along to Fenspeak as well, thank you for people who've supported uh, Digital Fenspeak during lockdown. We are love you very much and we're really ha uh, happy, pleased that you've come and joined us. We're not quite sure, we're just going to let you know that during August, if, have, depending on the government review, thanks Boris, um, depending on what they say for July the 19th, um, we might be trying to have an in-person friends speak in August. Mm. Oh my goodness, Having to, I know, like real people with legs and everything. <laughs> <laughs> um and we have been having conversations about our hybridization which will be like a, a series hybrid we can't we don't have the space in the tech in our venue to do everything all at once um but please be patient with us um we are i i have some ideas about things that we could do digitally alongside our in-person events um including like random mashups um, because that's how come I'm not here every so many because we clash with friends every eight to a couple of months um, and stuff. So we are looking at, and I think you're going to find that uh, those of you who are not in the UK or in different bits of the UK, you are going to find that some of the gigs that you've been coming to are going to hybridise. But as far as friends is concerned, all I'm going to say is you just need to give us time because we're like really small and we have a tiny venue. We're like a local poetry event for local people. <laughs> we have to figure out how we can do it and also how we can do it in a way that it benefits um our hosts at Babylon as well. We are it's coming. We're just you just gotta give us a chance to work on it, I always. Yeah. I'm not surprised because yeah, that's that's great. We'll thank you for that. Um it will be. I think we're going to take like a 10 minute break now and then during that time I'll probably come up with a running order for the second half. Might just wing it, which tends to be the case. But yeah. So if everyone comes back at nine, uh, if you're not back at nine, can't let you in. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell them what it's called, Beth. What? Your oh, what book. Your book. It's called What If Stars. What's it called? It's called What If Stars. Oh. What If Stars. Look for it. Coming out. Digital copies so people can buy them in the States. There's, they be yeah, all there's going to be all sorts of copies. I'm going to be shipping worldwide for anybody that wants to order like a physical thing. I just have to set up the, like the e-commerce part. Like I'm seriously at me in a direct message if you know anything about that because we're kind of looking at some options when we're all like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But what's the punctuation on that title, Beth? Is there like a hyphen between the what if? Is there a comma between the if and the stars? Is there no punctuation at all? It all makes a difference. Nada. Right. Nothing, just that. It's it's part, it is actually a line size, part of a poem. So um, you can thank our lovely friend, uh, Ken, for uh, the title because I couldn't come up with it on them. <laughs> He's better at it than me. So. I don't think I knew that. That's awesome for Ken. Yeah, no, it's like, it sometimes feels like it's just basically a massive collaborative effort, <laughs> which awesome. is both lovely and kind of crazy. What yeah, if I miss it even Beth. Beth Hartley, yeah, no. Beth Hartley poet dot com. Uh, no, it's on Facebook. I'm going to link it in the chat just okay. like right now when I can remember, like get the Earl right. <laughs> well, in a box back for the second half. And we will take a slight break here at Mutiny Radio. We're going to listen to some uh, Aqualabs, and we'll be right back with more Choose Poetry, Choose Life here on Mutiny Radio. Now the kind of cheese that boxes cook for the dips to chip away at and the meter sticks into it and makes a spicy splashed up bit of ooze to enjoy. For what else is there? Leisure is our pronoun tonight, and we name it thus so as to utilize the measure of bars and beats and treasure to bury for later as in the coin termed paper you neglected to write the evening before dew drops bonders muddy sandal toed continuation of a runner on sentences in a jail cellular conversation which a copywriter turned you on to. Like a car keyed for digital entry in an age of golden ratio Fibonacci, the petal rose as grows on you, tattoo lady. What was her name again? came a quiet whisper across the room where needles drew and women showed their buttocks to other women to tauntle for, if that were a word, and it may be just and those drawings, where did you get them from? They are from a notebook I've been meaning to keep yet keep losing, as in my mind. She flipped through the art book, look here's another. Do you think that would look good here? Your other buttock. Yes and slightly to the left this time, see if I raise like this, and I'm on my side, you know. Well, for the... Shoot. I lost another one. That's the third needle this week. I've got to buy myself another set, but I've been using this one since the 80s. You know I draw on Mount Claire before her movie career. Remember she was all up into it and said it would never end. It was her buttock too. Funny choice of wordings. She had me right up there. Up where? Asked the notebook women. Oh, I see. She looked at the pictures Ava was showing her now. In any event, yes she's beautiful, and I never saw the films. Stag were they? Kind of dark lines there, don't you think? And what's that? Just that. It's just a star with an arrow through it. Clever if you're into a Cupid's way out of town, as she was. Well she was my invention. She'd come in during the middle of the week and let me draw and pay me in tips from the movies and we'd have a chat about what was next and next too, and sometimes we'd go in the backhand, well she was she and I was me and it was good to see her from all sides. And so the women lit up, her cigarette, and flipped through the book that was being handed to her, as Ava drew more on her right buttock and began to hum. It was a tune, out of, and slight and they took their time away from each other and carried on in their minds. Mount Claire was flipping out, in the book in front of this young woman. Flip flip. And flipping. She's flipping people off there. And flipping over there. And over, and over there. 
and all over. What a spread. And what a book. She looked at the back cover. $9.99 for this one. That's not bad for the 80s, I should get a bear. Like this? Ava turned her head up. Like you want that here? She motioned at one of the images from the book and pinched her patron's ass just a bit, and winked. Oh sure. I'd like a bit of Mount Clare, and some more about how she was. If that's part of the bargain it was. She looked at her arm a bit. Following the curves which had been drawn by her own hand insta fire times and squared as in the city where she fled in a summer not far from the swelter that tripped it from her profession, which was high finance, so to speak. And that comes with a smile, if you're interested, said the now positively gleaming young Ava, and she put her hand on the notebook and closed it. And closed doors, for an afternoon, the two enjoyed a bit of by Mount Clare towards an in and around and about spiral and twists in the back and roomy sectional couched plotter which was the shop where pleases were aimed, like Cupid in the star. Dot. Oh carry on with it, then, I'll take more of that any day. Evening, here's my number. The paper read with A+, as in from Europe, or thereabouts, in the 31 range, if that was accurate, and it was and she began window shopping herself, to understate an understanding and she was eyed wide, with the rest of her, and shop she did, from the inside out. Slash slash. The cobble streets where shoemakers cobbled shoeries is our next road stop to a man who is also shopping, in the lives of facts and measures to dress as successor to a planet, just up the road, and to the left, and left to his own devices was he, outside in the rain where anything could have usually did, on his watch, happen. He looked at his watch watched, and watched we was. He was followed eastwardly and down a bit until he was noticed and there was a bit of closure in and some cars began to pull around, and other men got out of cars and began to walk towards the man, all the while the man stopped, to gently see what was moving and in which direction, and to see who stopped and who was near. And the nearest to him pulled out a packet of papers, neatly tied as in a manila envelope, and tucked it under his arm. You'll want to come with me. Shall we take a walk? A bit of a pause, a slightly uneasy, our character, looked, and turned with the man to have a conversation, and they walked. You know, you left us up last winter, we have the pictures you know. It was a crazy run finding you, you're not so easy to spot when you're not making waves like Geneva, are you? Do they all make it out? asked the man. Yes all but three, we have them. They're safe and within means and agreed to help us find you, if you can find them came the reply. Oh, I see, and that was what they told me this morning as well. I declined. Of course you did, that's why we're... I mean, I'm here. Yes the cars. Not so obvious that anybody would notice that down the corridor, eh? All shopping at Marks and Spencer again? I mean the budge reads like a show stocked by one and the only. What was her name again? Penelope. Yes she runs the numbers and thought we'd all get new coats if we found you. Clever, look this has enough pockets to line yours, and etc. Here. Take the envelope. I've got to get going and wanted to give you time to read and such. And the bridge is over there. I suggest you take a stroll and give it some thought. And if you don't jump over the side of that bridge. I'll take it as read that you're in and we can get on to business. Take it gently, Mr. Gent. 
Drab was his humor, read to the collage of photos from the Spy X and tucked and bobbed away at the London fog he had worn himself. Page 11 is the one we want and he walked away. Dot. Leafling through this dossier was like a seeming seemingly of a party he was at just last year. All dead or alive, as per usual. He looked closely at one, ticked it out from between the pages, folded it into his pocket and tossed the rest over the side of that small bridge that was meant as a joke, but was perfect for recycling these matters, like water under a bridge, no less. He chortled gently and moved on forward and on to his next stop, with a telephone. Dot. The phone chimed dot dot for twelve and a half minutes. The operator was listening. He could hear her breathing. All right in there Mavis? Got enough toffees to last the conversation this was her exchange and she knew the party he was trying to reach. She out you know. Went down to the pub half past, you can still find her there she just rung up Pete and they're all on their way about to their next stop, if you can catch her. Thanks Mavis. You've saved my life on this one, and I'll send more toffees when I get out of the aisle. Click. Notebook under her arm. Man on the other, the young women walked out the pub and into a black cab. They rode into the city evening, with music from Bolero playing lightly on the stereophonic speaker dial-tuned radio program. And this is Radio 11, the driver turned down the volume. So it's West End again, eh? You client, alright, is just up into that house, there. He pointed. And when you get it, you'll need this bottle of Dom and that's your entry into the back room, get it? and get it. We have 25 minutes and you should finish, or he'll finish you, and me. And I'll be round to pick you up, on time. Right? Right, she got out with the bottle and walked up to the steps, stepped up and took her key out. She jiggled her bosom in the lock and fingers the bottle of champagne just gently enough to remind herself that this was her job of jobs tonight. And she looked good. She peeled up her dress and showed her garter to the driver winked, and rode in on the bottle towards the rear of the flat, and her client's client client. Dot. James sat up from the comfort of his suede couch and couched his cigar between his lip and breathed out. He took the bottle from the young women, who he knew as. Claudia. Would you like a glass oh it's chilled? But you're hot. Here. He poured two glasses, clicked them himself, and handed her one, which she held up, to the artwork on the eastern wall. It's nice, she said, to the artwork reminiscent of Rampart. Or that other one. You know her accent was gently dumbed down for this one. She knew it was. And was. She stammered. Good one, she thought to herself. Yes, I forget myself with that one, which is why we're here, again, right? To forget ourselves and get ourselves, on, in fact. Or was there another matter you came about? I keep coming, back and forth, for you and the plug, you know the show? Got any interests this time I should know about? I mean last time was a surprise. And a good one. Yes interest, high-heeled interest like the bank rolled Royces of Pottery Barn Yard animal cookies glistened softly in a chewy ooze of sauntering saunter muck pie jubilee between cold winter sheets to the wind galloped velvet candied apple smotter. What? She learned that from Q. She bonged him on the head and smiled, she took some rope out of pocket, motioned, and tied him up a bit, to her pleasure, and then took out a pair of handcuffs and fixed his shoes to the chair, 
picked up the remainder of the bottle of champagne, and poured it into his mouth as he smiled expectantly. The bottle was of course drugged, and his smile turned into a half-grin as he began to look as if he was having a stroke. He seemed alright, just couldn't get on with moving any, and she pulled a bottle of pills from her purse and left it by his chair. Just enough for now, I've got to get on with getting off from here now. Let me just take a few notes and I'll be off she reached into his breast pocket and took his wallet, with some loose notes which seemed fresh and currenty. And a small pouch with a diamond, of sorts. This is a bit more my speed she eyed the lattice structure as it gleamed and pulsed a bit as she brought it close to some power in her purse, I won't be back again. But the gents will to finish up. Best of luck with them. Their light staff tonight, shouldn't hurt your feeling too badly. She picked up her dress, snapped her garter at him and clicked the door closed behind her as the car pulled around and she hopped into the back seat this time, with the very berry sort of a man she'd been looking for all evening. The map opened up between them as peaks and valleys in the legend too, golden and bliss right up for a tremor of a ride downtown, and around the bend, bent up slightly and to the left. Driven home, for the nowity of sake, and shaken gently, as in gentlemen and jacked slightly without a boozy under, but plucked and swirled, until they were fast asleep, and the sun horizon hit the other side of the planet again, for this another day in the continuation of continuity. The preceding episodic climatoidal prize modastical trollop portion of Oya's had been whizzed up the middle ground of wired magnetics for the very oh, purposes yeah, of proposed back. time space. Oh yeah we are. Heck yeah. Back so can we find your uh, comedy uh, comedy set online someplace? Can like you find my comedy set online? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, auditorially, absolutely. I don't have a lot of YouTubes because I don't necessarily enjoy the way I look. Um, but I do like the way I sound. So there's a ton of them on Mutiny Radio. Um, happy Hour, Open Mic. I've been running for years, and it's um, Friday, 6 to 8 here. And right now we're doing it as a contest, so all these comedians do stuff. And I always do sets. I mean, I have tons of I have tons of auditory. I did ten minutes last night. I do a lot of stuff here, um, so you can always listen to my comedy on MutinyRadio.fm and .sf. Joke Workshop is another great show I run every Monday. I run it like a poetry workshop, except with comedy comedians do four minute sets. They get four minutes of comments. I you know I run it like a writing workshop. I take really good notes and I give them really good comments on their joke structure, et cetera, et cetera. That's Joke Workshop, and then. Happy hour, open mic. I used to do all these shows called Comedy Clubhouse, so you can go way back. But then with the pandemic, I kind of stopped because I couldn't have audiences and four hours of comedy is too much. I've been doing these pop-up ones, so I have one from last night that's pop-up, open mic. And But if you just oh, peruse cool. mutinyradio.fm and the podcast archive, okay. there's all kinds of crazy stuff to listen to. So, yeah, do you have good for comebacks for, for hecklers and stuff? Or oh, yeah, that, absolutely. Uh... Um, okay. But people don't usually heckle me because I'm – I'm pretty performative, and I mean, unless they really, unless I gross them out too hard, but I can always, you know, I've been doing comedy for 10 years, so I'm not, nice. I, I ain't scared. Nice. I ain't scared. All right. Um, so we're back. Um, so we're going to go to Leslie first, and then we're going to go to Holly. So they're not there. That's weird. Okay. Um, okay. So we'll go to Leslie first. Okay, these are, um, I'm going to read two and they're new and they're pretty short. I mean, sometimes I can uh, write and write and write. 
This first one's called Plateau. You have asked yourself to grow and to change, to shapeshift from one form to another. And so now you feel yourself expanding with having the new that comes to you in large shift, reducing, shrinking again to the old safe form, but the stretch, the stretching, the involuntary response to stretch is upon you and you do, you stretch. And the fear is there that you will expand so greatly, perhaps into this unknown, that you will burst your skin. Is that the... Is the end? You are made of the fabric of yourself. You see in the dark the emblems of misery, of loss, that you have to grow yourself out of and upward. This you know, among the other things that you know, or you think you do, that this is just a stepping place, a plateau of many to hold your foot, steadying you as you climb. The hollow V for victory. When you think you have won and you slide down this ladder, the one you know all too well to begin again and you begin and begin and begin and begin again. So the second one's called um, Night River. I'm willing to go down the layers, to go down and keep going. Who will come with me until I hit bottom, until there is no more, until I pass over that line of safety, the possibility of no more? Who will come with me on the way down? When you go down, you climb down the dark ladder into the basement of the soul. And what do you see as you go? down. The touch of what? The touch of nowhere, the touch of the tomb. This the soul's fetid essence of much, too much on the way down, going down before you. You do not have to say. It is not for me to know, but only what I know myself of this. It is your journey down to know or not, to realize in its dark brilliance the illumination of your shadow and not mine. When you come back, if you come back up, that you travel with the essence of you, of you is all that is needed. You, the other co-joined as twin again, the mother womb, the room of earth with a dark seedling to take root and grow, intertwined with you, the darling that birthed as complete and whole as one. You emerge from dark earth and into sunset, sunlight, excuse me, birth, finally, you shine. So that's all for me tonight. Thank you, Leslie. Where are you located out of, Leslie? I like the view of whatever's behind you. Oh, um, I'm in Weymouth in Dorset in the UK and just down that away. If I could even turn the camera so you could see the harbor. Oh, the harbor. But what's harbor. you're but you're an American. What are you doing over there? Oh, I'm a half Brit. Oh my, my joke is like, yeah, you can call me half Brit or half Brit, your choice. <laughs> My mom was uh, was a Bristol girl, and my dad uh, from Cleveland, Ohio, and they met as a result of World War II. It was a romantic story. 
he was uh, he was transported. Uh, you know, he was in university. He was transported um, uh, overseas. Uh, you know, to train and then go fight Hitler, all that stuff. And um, it was in Bristol. And um, during the training ops, there was an explosion that wasn't supposed to happen, and some shrapnel flew into his right eye and they had to remove his right eye and they put him in French A Park Hospital in Bristol right next to my mother's British Army cousin. Isn't that a romantic story? That's how they met. Because she was visiting the cousin and then she met him. Yeah. And she was like, yeah. hey. And he's like, I, I only know. have one eye. And she's like, I don't care. I Right. Anyhow, there's this long story about like, you know, he had this glass eye for the rest of his life, but at a certain point, because it was really glass back then and it was really heavy. So he was a journalist. And so he'd get he'd get home from doing his journalistic thing and he'd take his eye out, right? Because it was heavy and it hurt. And then he put his patch on and at the dinner table, he'd go, scare us all. <laughs> but then uh, he was real cool. He's a joker. He was a journalist. He was a joker dad. And so uh, he'd go to like these big hoopy do parties. And of course he'd wash his glass eye, but he'd slip it in somebody's drink. Oh God, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 a childhood friend's dad had a glass eye and he was always putting the eye in his mother's and the mom's drink too, yeah. And then he'd put his eye, he'd put his eye here and he'd, he'd say to us, I'm watching you. <laughs> So cool. And then he, and then when he died, I got all his eyes, right? <gasps> yeah, I had, but he had blue eyes, you know, I'm brown, so, you know, but I could say I have my father's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have them in a jar? That's awesome. Oh, no, man, they're in like little like jewelry cases, each one, like six or seven. And then like, um, like I had them down in Mexico. So I wanted to move them back up to Santa Fe and storage, like where my, my youngest son is. And so I took him across like, you know, and they had him in an air, air you know, in a, in a, um, a metal box that was the wedding prison. They're one of the res wedding presents and it went beep, 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 beep. And so the TSA guy's like, he wants to look through it. And I'm going, oh dude, God, I don't want him to take my dad's eyes. And I'm going like, oh look, oh look, what you're gonna see in there like a bunch of eyes, you know, like glass eyes. And then they stopped the line and this woman was going, oh, wait till I tell my husband she was working out. And so then they opened it up and they, op you know, they opened it, everyone went, Oh, and because the guy was being a real jerk and I thought he was going to take my, my dad's eyes from me. And so then, fi so finally, like all the women were like, oh no, give them back to her. Those are her father's eyes. So that's, <laughs> that's all I have so to rad. say. So, so Leslie, did your dad ever say, I'll keep an eye out for you? I wanted to say, oh, he only had eyes for her. Oh, he only had he only had eyes for my mother. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of family history, maybe too much information. But Leslie, that is glorious. <laughs> Have you written about that? Because if you haven't, you really need to. I should. Yeah, I just said the eyes have. <laughs> Pretty funny. I love all of it. I mean, yes, it's like endless jokes, but anyhow.
though. <laughs> so now we're going to go there. Moving on. Hang on. I'm moving. I know. I'm moving. I'm going to spin the camera on. There. That is next. I'm fine. All right. Hello. Hi. Um, long time no see. I just uh, apologies. I haven't been in far too long, and I have no good reason. There's always something every week. There's always something comes up. Um, I have three that I'm going to do tonight. Uh, <clears throat> first one is where I wrote it. I don't know a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it's one book, one of poem, just for context. Um, it's formatted. Um as if it's not a, a, a completed poem. It's it's formatted in a way like writing notes or a first draft. So there's like crossing out and, and things a hickety pickety. You'll just have to take my word for it that in context it makes sense and what people do to do. And it's called Notes on Pain. I swore I would never write about you again. Not after the last time. After what you said told me no one. I promised myself that was the last poem I would ever write about you. I promised I wouldn't do this again. I promised I wouldn't do this again. But here I go again, wasting ink on paper, vaginal fluid, and creative endeavor. What is it about you that corrodes my self-control? Months later, and a few minutes together, and I'm breaking all my self-made chemistries. But we didn't have sex, not really. And this is not about you, it's about me. And I haven't written any other poem. This is not a poem. These are just... I'm wrong. Um, and then the next one I'm going to read... Oh, I wrote this ages ago. I don't think I've ever read it, so you can tell before. It's called Ostrich, and it, I'm just going to read it because I think it sort of fits in with the theme. Yeah, this is ostrich. I smiled, a juiceful smile, while you tied my blindfold tight. I held it in place and stumbled around blind, while you ripped the moon to shreds. In the dark, I heard the screaming, convinced it was them who did the beating. The walls that you screw up, so convinced of your piety, because you never hurt me. I was what you wanted me to be. With stupid, adoring naivety. You turned their love to darkness, left them in fear and alone. Contrived your absolution, justified with lies, but now you're gone, burned and into darkness. The wall ripped apart my blindfold in the blink of harsh light. The reality that burns my eyes. So I bury my head below thick veils of cloth. Coming out periodically in fortnightly appointments, taking the lights a little at a time, as much as my eyes are allowed, for it all becomes too much. The doctor leaves out tissues to wipe my burning eyes. She tells me to accept the answers I will never have. But instead, I close my eyes, pull the veil over, and taste some darkness and my flesh begins, at least according to me. And the last one that I'm going to read is called Dandelion. 
Um, and it's just a short one. Under appreciated beauty, your youth spent in yellow dresses, revelry by roadside, making love to bees and butterflies, secure in earthly peace. Older now, your head thin and white, blown away by little girls, heedlessly counting time. In your mind, is ever on peace, precious you. You will never meet your many daughters, carry the bar on the wind, to wear yellow dresses, and count lost time as healthy. Oh, that went well. Hi. Um, oh, um, I was forgetting. Thanks, Holly. Thank you. Um, oh, I like that. That was good. I was just like, thanks, Holly. <laughs> um, yeah, it's almost like an imp- this is the closest thing I've had to an in person gig in. Yeah. In like. <laughs> in- I had an in person gig. Look. Oh, it's crazy. You, you have now. You're my first live audience. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. Crazy. Um, I've completely forgotten. No, I haven't. I remember now. Pam, you're up next. Oh! Woohoo! Hey, look at that! I'm already unmuted, I think. Yeah, I am. Oh, sweet. Um, okay, I have I have three new things. This was a weird I had a weird past couple weeks. Re- Mercury finally came out of retrograde. All right, that's fantastic. Uh, because everything was falling apart. If, I don't know if for you, for me it was, but, um, and I've been getting these crazy tarot card readings and all of my faith has been shaken and things are weird. It's just been weird. I've been learning weird, weird things. Uh, okay. And esoteric and strange. Okay. I have, uh, I don't know what order to do these in. I'll do this one first. Okay. It's called Lone Wolf. Lone Wolf. What a cliche. Don't cry. Cliches don't exist without years of thought and voices proclaiming, let the cat out of the bag. Why would you ever have a cat in a bag, you soulless monster, unless you are a wolf who eats cats and then by all means keep them in bags. Assholes abound and sidewalk politics are murdering cats and dogs and cats are living together, mass hysteria, The pigs are ribs now, on the grill of their houses burnt or blown down. The lone wolf is always hungry, and bricks make an excellent oven. Children are the masters of language, the only ones who live honesty, especially when they lie. Okay, that was lone wolf. Yay. Okay, and this one is called Pearls. Where are you now, my blue-eyed sailor, my savior come to sweep me to the sea? I am forever floating this bed of sea and kelp. I sink, eyes closed or open, you're still invisible. I can't see your orange shorts or that you're not wearing a helmet. I am a coward in my shell. Shoot me into sound, this thought pearl. Pictures make sounds and thoughts on a screen of your eyes. I am a desktop, a dormouse, a writing desk. What is a rat? 
who spins? Where are you now, Lewis? My favorite understander of children. Except you're gross. I mean, we all love a blonde girl in an apron. Thanks, Disney. With the rhymes and the words of new, your vorpal sword and tweedle walrus, a carpenter isn't always Jesus, and sometimes an oyster is just an oyster. Okay. <laughs> These are all, this is, I've been, things have been weird. And like I said, I've been drunk for like three weeks. So this is all just like, I'm home alone and I'm Bukowski now. Everything I write is perfect. Um, but that's just the alcohol. I, I, have to, I have to do a little editing. Okay. Uh, this is another sad one. And then this is my last one. I don't have a title for it yet. <clears throat> the Heart of Being Lonely. A broken shoelace, a lone hairpin, crumpled tissues, and five almonds. All my bras are ugly, and my panties age-stained holy. Everything I believed, double-plus untrue. The veil gone. The good news is, people I don't know don't hate me. The three beers in, and how's the boy? Clapping backs and handshakes. I am so bitter. Let the anger flow through you. Hate is your heat, your comfort. On this and every dark night, even in the sun, the lights are out. No one is walking across my grave in the future, and I don't want to talk to the aliens, Jesus, or Joe Rogan. Rip off the Band-Aid and surf the fucking rainbow. Stop being a coward. Look them in the eye and make a choice. But don't hide your candle. Put on the frosting. Cut the fucking cake. Let them eat cake. Let them choke on cake. Everyone likes cake, but they like it better with frosting. Another false sugar topping. Silent. Oh, I can be silent, but only as a treatment to the ice this to ice this bruised heart never broken, misplaced in the second drawer to the left. The one with the forgotten keys and toothpicks and bitten pencils, safety pins and a broken shoelace, a lone hairpin, crumpled tissues, and five almonds. Because there is no conversation with a dead man, unless he lived in your head all along, made up to fulfill the fillless, the constant stream now poisoned. Oh, thanks, guys. Big house. Big house. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, it was a total steal. We um, the the owner died, and we just snapped it up. <clears throat> yes, I think we did. Um, there's a trigger warning for mention of suicide. Um, yeah, it doesn't have a title. I'm a failure. A writer who doesn't write with a mortgage on a house that I no longer live in. My possessions are divided up. Between there 
my back seat in my friend's bed bedroom. I hate the job, but I still haven't quit. And now, more than ever, money seems important. I guess I'll be staying there until that changes or I have another breakout. Whichever comes first, or I feel what to do with that. My grandfather is sick. He's in terrible pain and can't hide it, and that is me. Plus, I'm going to make suicide jokes, and I'm not laughing. But one day, I'll worry one day soon because of me. Right now, I'm going to use Yeah, that was. Oh, hey. I'm not used to this couch yet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Thanks. Um. So next we're gonna go to Stilly. I do believe I need to make you a horse. Does that work if I make you? Hello, hello, hello. Yeah. Brilliant, thank you very much. <clears throat> okay. And this one is called, come on, come on, come on, come on. The Zodiac Knight. <clears throat> Apologies to all Scottish people in the audience. I'm going to be doing a Scottish accent, but uh, when you're born in Doncaster, you, you're under the yoke of the Scottish. The name on the surgery breastplate was covered with ivy and furs. The words Dr. Sharp were there somewhere, but to read it you'd need secateurs. For the third time that day a car drove past, but this time slowed down and then stopped. And out stepped a man with a briefcase who went up to the door and then knocked. There's nobody there, a voice rang out, which belonged to an old passerby. Dr. Sharp died a year since or longer, so unlikely to give a reply. Of course, said the young man, just checking. This is my new place of employ. The name's Nelson and I'm his replacement. And the old chap's face lit up with joy. A new doctor at last, said the old man, as he carried the doctor's valise. We've waited so long for your coming. Are you Scottish by any degrees? No, not at all, said the young man, as he looked at the dust in the room. Well, let's not give up hope, said the old man, and he went to fetch Mrs Muldoon. Mrs Muldoon brought a vacuum, her mop and a very wide grin. A new doctor at long last, she cried out. Are you maybe a Caledonian? I'm Leopold Nelson from London, born and bred where I took my degree. And to prove it, he hung his diploma on the wall where his patients could see. That night there appeared in the window, the new surgery hours on a sign. And by the next morning, the waiting room was heaving with patients by nine. Surprised by the local euphoria, the good doctor took it all in his stride. But the absolute absence of ailments did leave him a bit mystified. They all seemed very healthy and filled with a joyful, joyful ferocity. And the only condition he could cure was his patient's intense curiosity. They all smiled at his birth date and lineage with every small fact he relinquished, his hobbies and interests entirely, except 
for the fact he was English. At the end of the day, the poor doctor was bewildered by the Scottish topic. So was the whole village just racist? And if so, then why so philanthropic? Each one had offered him kindness. Donations and presents are plenty, from bouquets and wild game and biscuits to cakes, drink and verse complimentary. When finally the surgery ended and Leo went to the shop in the village, the grocer would not take his money and insisted it would be delivered. Every item he placed on the counter brought on strange nods and whispers as the only true choice of a Scotsman, from mini KFs to Rice Krispies. Until the poor doctor exploded. I am English, of that I have no doubt. But how that affects my profession or my toothpaste, I cannot work out. And into the street he went running, full of anger, confusion and stress. And there at the church was a minister who seemed to discern his distress. What ails you, my son? said the churchman, which he spoke with a broad English accent, which seemed to encourage the doctor to vent his bewildered lament. Whilst explaining the recent happenings, Leo was led through the church's main gates, where he couldn't help noticing several details which seemed out of place. Instead of the usual icons, all the church's interior features showed scorpions, bulls and crustaceans, and other strange mythical creatures. The font it was forged like a crab shell, the candles all balanced on scales, a brass centaur armed with an arrow and bow stood next to a goat with fish tails. I see you're admiring our stained glass, of Capricorn in line with Venus. Leo listened intently, but then asked, but I noticed no pictures of Jesus. The minister smiled before saying, we're not about him or the popes. Our religion is based on divinity, astrology and horoscopes. The stars and the patterns they follow are accurate truth-based devotions. They foretell the way to the future, to the paradise formed by such notions, which leads me, of course, to the reason as to why the townsfolk should inquire about your true place of divinity is they're hoping that you're their messiah. Last solstice, a two-headed weasel was born in the waxing moonshine, and a comet crossing Aquarius is such an encouraging sign. When zodiac night falls tomorrow, as Neptune transcends Ursa Major, a Scottish-born healer called Leo will be crowned as our worshipful savior. Dr. Nelson cried out, but it's madness to predict life from star group positions. I'm a man who's devoted to science. Only fools believe superstitions. I'm no more of a god than the next man. I don't care what your star charts might say. There's no part of me that is Scottish. And with that, he went out on his way. That night, Dr. Nelson woke, sharp, woke sharply to rhythmical beats from the wood. A torchlight procession and singing boiled his senses whilst freezing his blood. All the next day he was haunted by the sounds and sights in his head. Howls of strange creatures and symbols filled Leo with hypnotized dread. Until when he regained his composure, he awoke in a long flowing gown, tied up to what looked like an altar, with folk chanting strange songs all around. In the distance, the sun was just setting, and the vicar held a flaming torch bright, shouting, Now comes the end of our waiting. He has come on this zodiac night. The stars have long told of his coming, and have finally sent out our wish. 
a local-born healer, our saviour, Leo shouted. No way am I Scottish. The vicar shouted, the stars have shown us the way to distinguish the true chosen one who will lead us. Leo shouted, I'm quite clearly English. To the vicar, and according to scripture, we shall honour our Lord good and true with a virgin each night for his pleasure. And Leo shouted, Okai the new! And suddenly Leo was blessed with an accent like Robert the Bruce and remembered that his auntie Morag had shown him her Edinburgh tattoos. So was born a new religious order based on stars and how they align, led by Leo, the one who was chosen, who got quite used to being divine. Dr. Nelson still practices daily, but his methods are now more refined. He's learnt that with science and magic, it pays to keep an open mind. I thought it was going to be like Zodiac Killer, like the San Francisco thing or something, and then I was very surprised. I was like, when does the, when does the killing come in? You know, the, the Zodiac <laughs> Killer in the 70s? We do. Oh, well, that is everyone. I don't know if anyone wants to go again, or... That was everyone today. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, or we can oh. talk about some weird shit like we were earlier on the break. No, I don't know. Uh, it's all good. It's one thirty-seven. What time is it for you guys? Nine thirty-seven in uh, yep. over there. Oh, Louise is looking around. Louise. Yeah, we've I've got, got one time. from uh, Stephen Dobbins. If somebody wants to hear it, yeah, go for it. Okay, this is this is this is called "How to Like It." It's by Stephen Dobbins. Um, these are the first days of fall. The wind at evening smells of roads still to be traveled while the sound of leaves blowing across the lawns is like an unsettled feeling in the blood, the desire to get in a car and just keep driving. A man and a dog descend their front steps. The dog says, let's go downtown and get crazy drunk. Let's tip over all the trash cans we can find. This is how dogs deal with the prospect of change. But in a sense of the season, the man is stuck by the oppressiveness of his past. How his memories, which were shifting and fluid, have grown more solid until it seems he can see remembered faces caught up among the dark places in the trees. The dog says, let's pick up some girls and just rip off their clothes. Let's dig holes everywhere. Above his house, the man notices wisps of cloud crossing the face of the moon. Like in a movie, he says to himself, a movie about a person leaving on a journey. He looks down the street to the hills outside of town and finds the cut where the road heads north. He thinks of driving on that road and the dusty smell of the car heater, which hasn't been used since last winter. The dog says, let's go down to the diner and sniff people's legs. Let's stuff ourselves on burgers. In the man's mind, the road is empty and dark. Pine trees press down to the edge of the shoulder where the eyes of animals fixed in his headlights shine like small cautions against the night. Sometimes a passing truck makes his whole car shake. The dog says, let's go to sleep. Let's lie down by the fire and put our tails over our noses. 
but the man wants to drive all night, crossing one state line after another and never stop until the sun creeps into his rearview mirror. Then he'll pull over and rest a while before starting again. And at dusk, he'll crest a hill and there, filling a valley, will be the lights of a city entirely new to him. But the dog says, let's just go back inside. Let's not do anything tonight. So they walk back up the sidewalk to the front steps. How is it possible to want so many things and still want nothing? The man wants to sleep and wants to hit his head again and again against the wall. Why is it all so difficult? But the dog says, let's go make a sandwich. Let's make the tallest sandwich anyone has ever seen. And that's what they do. And that's where the man's wife finds him, staring into the refrigerator, as if into the place where the answers are kept. The ones telling why you get up in the morning and how it is possible to sleep at night. Answers to what comes next and how to like it. That's How to Like It by Stephen Dobbins. Yay, Stephen Dobbins. Thank you, John. Um, let me do something in the chat. Yeah, that. And then, what about the ways of you? There we go. You answered it before I asked. Um, that's the efficiency that we like here. Um, Beth, you can go on next. Um, the piece that I want to read is a form poem. And is it worth asking you to um, let me share my screen? Yeah, I'll make you so a people poll. can see it. Because it is it just take the dog off. No. Okay, right. Let me see if I can do it. Okay. Okay. Um so this is the this is the title poem. I wrote it in in uh, Napo Rimo last year and the the prompt was what if you could bottle the stars and have a conversation? What would they say? What if stars were telling us everything about the universe? The vastness of space means the message comes in tiny fragments and we are not yet slow enough to catch up on all the star views because we haven't listened long enough to find out and shards have slipped past through ages and into rockets their fuselage is dented by the stories being told by our galaxy. This is why we don't know. We are only hearing fractions. We see their speech like spatter on our windscreen, black and full of specks we can't interpret unless we learn to tune in slower and take time to understand, decode, decipher, dream and find a fuller picture of everything existing. Imagine what we might discover if we caught all the little scraps. What if stars? Yay! Um, and that <laughs> that form is one I invented when I wrote that poem. It's called a Mothra because it's a <laughs> it's a moth-shaped poem about space. <laughs> and, and my friend said it's a Mothra, and I had no idea what he was talking about. So, yeah, space moth, baby. Yeah. So it was. Um, I actually wrote it as a and I originally wrote it as an abracadabra, but I forgot that it was syllables. But by the time I remembered that it was syllables and not words, I was already commit too committed to the bit to quit. So I had to keep going. <laughs> and and mothras were born. And, and, and if you want to know about how to write them, 
Um, you can, I'll have to find the poem rep sheet, but I haven't got it right now. Thank you, Beth. I might give one of those a try. I'm not very busy at work, so yeah, it would be nice um, to have have you got the have you got the link to the spreadsheet? Very spreadsheet with the all the repeating form the like the repeating forms and stuff in it. Because they've actually they've actually put it in there. I don't think I've um I don't think I've got the link to I don't know, I might have. Let me see what I can find. Let me see what all I can right. find because it's a really useful if you write concrete poetry, it's a really useful resource that um uh, Faye Roberts at Allographics put together, which is um a repeating a concrete forms spreadsheet so it does a heavy lifting for you it won't um you, you can't write in it you have to but it'll give you the gives you the blocks for things and a mo and, and they put the mothra in there because it's fun it's fun to write didn't mothra live on, on monster island i have no clue you didn't watch those those japanese no i didn't i the, didn't at all it, it was right. just I sent it, I'd sent it to my friend who's like a Godzilla freak and I don't want to lose the connection, but it looks like we're losing the connection. Connection, connection, CPCL. Well, we got through our open mic. That was great. I think that it might have frozen on me. I'm going to do that because I believe it's frozen. I believe it's frozen and we did it, friends. We did it. All together now. All together now. All together now. Okay, so we did it. That was CPCL. Uh, I'm going to read one more thing just because we have a second and why not? And it's not written by me. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. It's fine. That was good. That was a good CPCL. I was I was emotional at the beginning. There were some really great poems. <clears throat> My work's been really weird lately. I've been off the rails. All right. This is I've been reading a lot of Bukowski too. Like a lot. Like a lot. I've read like four poetry books of his in the last three weeks, two weeks. Uh, this is my favorite one though. This is called Some Picnic by Charles Bukowski. Some Picnic, which reminds me, I shacked with Jane for seven years. She was a drunk. I loved her. My parents hated her. I hated my parents. It made a nice foursome. One day, we went on a picnic together up in the hills, and we played cards and drank beer and ate potato salad and weenies. They talked to her as if she were a living person at last. Everybody laughed. I didn't laugh. Later at my place, over the whiskey, I said to her, I don't like them, but it's nice they treated you nice. But it's good. I'm sorry, I fucked that up. Later at my place, over the whiskey, I said to her, I don't like them, but it's good that they treated you nice. You damn fool, she said. Don't you see? See what? They keep looking at my beer belly. They think I'm pregnant. Oh, I said, well, here's to our beautiful child. Here's to our beautiful child, she said. We drank them down. Yeah, and that's how you write a motherfucking poem. <laughs> I love Charles Bukowski. Oh, he's so good. Maybe it's just the, 
you know, the, the drinking. You drink to remember, you drink to forget, you drink to celebrate. What else do you drink for? But I've been drinking less, which is good, and I'm trying to. Or eating more. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Anyways, I'm too vulnerable on these. This was a vulnerable day. It was, uh... That was some really raw poetry out of me. I don't usually put it out without more um, editing. Anyways, not today. All right. I was really hoping that Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth, was going to make it in for some Call Me Tim. But I think she's in jury duty. And good for her doing her civic duty. Thank you again, CPCL, Choose Poetry, Choose Life, Andy Talbot, Aaron Gannon, who couldn't be with us this eve because she's at a steak dinner. I got to tell my steak things. We got the cow poems in there. I enjoyed today very, very much. Everyone had some really good work. I think, not me. well, I mean, I, I, validate yourself, Pam. You can validate yourself. My work is mediocre right now, all right? It's mediocre. It's fine. Okay. Um, I don't know what we're going to do for Some Call Me Tim, but I am going to play some more... Um, Radio 11 Aqualabs. I love this stuff. Thanks for joining me today. We'll be back next week with the AltaCast here on Mutiny Radio. Play. To right feet on backwards tackle nonsense in a sensical sensual causal relationship of worldly matters of materially frantastical emotioning questions of checkery and balanced an even more set of throws into the early to be evening, if that was your time of night, and it was, not to stop bother or just that it was, slowly changed and to the left again, patter as if that pattern was gently dipped into a spiky street of electrics whizzed by with the murmurs of hearts neatly tucked behind stereos while mild chatter of the news events of a day yet to come more was happening a world away, as it always was and thus reported into the airwaves if you were inclined or reclined to listen or let it flow into as the FM programming you choose to start your day. When the day becomes and turns away the night which you forget for the purposes of sanity, yet seek it again on a regular basis to maintain such a staticity of non-forgetfulness, only slightly to offset the ends of sanity again, and again, which oddly fits your design, or did and does by memory alone, as you may be in these moments as listening again, what is it that continues the forces of life inside any of us, or simultaneously all of us, and also what brings death and is that in sequence or altogether? Is death perhaps overworked these days, and should we feel sorrow for a job which ought not to return a lot of satisfaction to such a non-forced force of zeroing out, or is it a time of jubilee for the finals to be lifted and sorted or tossed around on sleds into a trucked city vehicle while their families ponder from far away if they'll see their child in the stars that very evening, or perhaps next week, and wait. It was a ghost town. This town outside of town, where the reported and seemingly dead arrived, in a bus, to a bar which nay served alcohol, at a time which was neither between day or night, and as it unloaded, the people on it, looked forward and around a bit, and didn't talk or offer each other a help of any kind, for that's what got them into this predicament. And it was a predicament, preceded by a non-behavior and thrown under, their arms like the pillow they brought to bed and perhaps still had, 
clinging on a sum to the last bits of electrics which grounded them to this, the planet of their choosing, as delivered their lifetime ago by that hopped up beast of perhaps a stork, or shot out of a cannon as they now remembered, making their way towards a new challenge, delivered at that very hospital, or one near and far away from their hearts which were no longer beating themselves up like the drummer they perhaps followed, or perhaps even made a sound in motion to start their own circle, and did. Well did, was the operative word here, and there was no operation. For some this was a relief and for others they'd hoped of a bit more fervor in their demise, instead of this old bus, which was now pulling away to get some more. And the more company it brought, you'd think the mood would change, or that the party would start and that life would begin again for these souls without narrow pair of sock on some, perhaps too rich to go poor on the streets they loved, or even not given the chance to go mad and rediscover a world of living before they unchoose to. Well, what had happened? Death was standing over, just there. But he had a sort of uniform on. Not the usual one you'd expect, big black coat with cold black eyes you couldn't see. And he had a voice. Again. Not the usual tonal somber one you'd see in film, but a quiet calm and directing voice, as he took out a map and motioned to a set of others on where this next lot was meant to settle. A settlement for the dead. On this planet? Or in it? There was a hole up ahead. Some people were already walking towards it, perhaps that's where they were meant to go in such a malaise of non-reasoning, they reasoned with each other and some began to point. The men pointed back at them and motioned. There was a young man, or perhaps a young woman though likely it was a manning based on his pajamas he'd been comfortable up until a moment ago, or several, counting the Riga's route which the bus took on its way up here. Or was it down here? He pondered. The lights were still visible from where he stood, that way over there. That warm city, and now this cold plot in plotted bit of land with a warmish hole. That was their reasoning. The man's name had to be reminded to himself at this moment, by the too soon pair of other uniformed men who approached him and called to his attention his new identification. It goes on your toe, sir, was a bit of laughter from the other. We tag him and bag him and you have made a grade up to the other level one said. Oh. It's just I. Was a stammering about to happen. He thought he'd get his bearings first, but time in this place was not a luxury as it was on the, and where am I? Level K, said the other. That's where we're taking you. Answers to his questions were not forthright and he decided he would walk along and discover what the men were up and about. They looked down at his feet and turned with each other and walked a bit in the direction our character was thinking of going in anyway. They all moved forward. One had a radio, and it twackered every 30 seconds or so. No audio and there was a solemn understanding between the men who moved in their usual way and as if they had some regular duty here, and they did. To deliver this man to the level, as stated, K. A small door appeared lit only by the seam to show that there were electrics inside, and perhaps life he thought. I mean who would power the electrics, and perhaps there was heat. It was dimly cold and wet outside, and he'd hoped for perhaps a cocoa once they'd arrived at a resting spot. The door opened and a middle-aged woman motioned them in. Inside was just a couch, and a television which was not turned on, and he sat as was motioned to do so, and they left. He fiddled with the couch and sat for a bit, then decided to lay down and wait for something else to happen. His eyes closed. Closure. 
He thought to himself, as in close again, and now on a couch. He'd just left his bed, and how? Odd he couldn't remember. What about the night before? Still nothing. Though he recognized his own pajamas. They were a gift, for he'd never consider wearing clothes to bed until people started buying them at holidays. Birthday. His mind sprang a bit. Yeah, he remembered that. Well the word anyway, but forgot the date. Hum. He hummed to himself. The couch was comfortable still, and still, and as he was, was noticing the something-nothing around him was as familiar as his memory of forgetfulness. He was kind of enjoying the non-enjoying and hoped it would last for a while too, when a chime chimed. You're up popped in the young women, through a door which appeared only momentarily and lingered lit and hopeful for his arrival through it and onto something new and perhaps exciting. I wouldn't bet on it the young women held the door open still. Oh, what? Exciting, isn't it you'll think to yourself as you walk towards me and perhaps it will be, but I've never seen it her eyes bobbed a bit over his pajamas. He was noticing that everybody was noticing his pajamas, including himself and he smiled now and turned up towards the lady and decided to make a change. James, he offered a glance over her in his hand to shake it if she was so undesirable to do so. Oh she shook his hand and her lips stilted towards a similar smile in a manner liking to him. Your new home is it? Last one left you behind? Well we've got you here and in the now she offered a bit more of herself as light conversation. Oh, well good, I mean. It's nice to. I mean. See. I mean look at you. Still human right? Aren't we? A bit more of that and we'll all be in to spring in no time she beamed a bit more here come along and listen. And put her arm around him as they both walked into the level while she let the door close behind them. There is more conversation through here, and there. And. She motioned there. The ideas are sorted throughout but I think you will find they're color coded to your liking. At least I think so. The mats are for player playfulness, not resting, and the coffee pot is locked up but I'll get you a cup if you'd like. Caffeine at this time of night though, I wouldn't recommend it, but some do. Just up ahead the hallways were opening and rooms became larger, with a twisty maze of passages broken off from left to center and they appeared to light up as he saw people walking around and through them, with some evidence of direction. Some were carrying notebooks and others simply appeared and disappeared in their gowns without shoes, of varying colors. Yes. I'd love a cup. It'll just get me started you know. I mean it was a long. He'd forgotten about the bus. He'd forgotten about the door he'd remember this place, surely. And he looked over to her to see what she was about to say. Synaptic haptics the stated in plain technical language. It's the engine which runs this place. Thought up by thought itself. Kind of a miracle it works at all, and that's kind and to the point. You'll discover in a second and she handed him a coffee. It was black and sweet, and a bit artificial tasting, and he sucked at it and it was warm and he kept the cup at his side and thought to speak. So what do you do here? I mean besides this he attempted a light bit of conversation he was sort of used to, in these types of situations which had now become rare enough. I bring the people who power the machine, and you're it. Would you like to know more? Because I would. We all would. And the last one just fired. Oh good there's still some in there, I thought I'd have to push you in the chute, but things seem to still be functioning. 
Shoot. Shoot. Oh that there. Well I wouldn't jump in there, it's frightening you'd have to push me. They both smiled. Yes, that's what I do, normally. But we have some time, would you like to take a walk? They did walk, around the outside, as it was in this place of interior. And occasionally they saw some people, and mostly it just hummed, and they talked. 